beyond infinity. Some of Hoyle's ideas were interesting but controversial. Cometary panspermia. Mm. This was the idea that comets seed the Earth with biological material which formed the building blocks of life and also perhaps possibly infections. He suggested that the major infection that happened after the First World War, which became known as Spanish flu, was perhaps seeded from comets. Interesting idea, and by no means dismissed these days. We, we really don't know. Hmm. Another very interesting idea was the work he did with on Stonehenge. Around Stonehenge, well, we all know Stonehenge for the great big stones that are erected there, but around the circle of stones is a circle of post holes where one day there were wooden, one time in the past there were wooden posts. They're known as Aubrey holes. Mm-hmm. Hoyle worked out that these could be used to predict eclipses. And he's absolutely right. They can be. Whether they were or not, we don't know. Of his ideas, which were truly brilliant, we come to stellar nuclear synthesis. This is the formation of atoms within stars. In particular, the triple alpha process. But here I must tell the story backwards. The abundance of elements in the universe. The Big Bang created hydrogen, helium, lithium and beryllium. Fusion in stars gave us the higher elements up to the element iron. Iron stars collapse in a supernova and that gives the heavier elements. And all this was worked out on the basis of probabilities of elements coming together, fusing and forming heavier elements. But there was a problem, a problem in all this. Nobody could quite understand how carbon was formed. You could understand that three helium atoms and their alpha particles could collide simultaneously and fuse and they would produce carbon. But the probability of three alpha particles coming together like this is so low that this can be ruled out. Another possibility is if two helium atoms, alpha particles, collide to form beryllium-8, which then collides with another helium atom, it could form carbon. This sounds good, but unfortunately the half-life of beryllium-8 is so short, it's 10 to the minus 16 seconds, that this could not possibly work either. Now, 10 to the minus 16 is 1 followed by 16 zeros, Followed, sorry, naught followed by 16 zeros, one of a second. A very short time. Mm-hmm. Actually, the, the stable form of beryllium is beryllium-9, but beryllium-8 is very, very unstable. Now, arguing from anthropic perspective, carbon exists, and so do the heavier elements. Somehow, carbon must have been formed. And arguing from these principles... Hoyle came to the conclusion that there must be a resonance within carbon-12 which just matches the energies involved in the beryllium-alpha reaction. He did some calculations and he decided that this resonance must occur at 7.82 million electron volts. 
A residence, let's think about that for a minute. If you push a child on a swing, mm. you can get the child to swing at an enormous amplitude, provided you push at the right moment. If you push at the wrong moment, then you break your wrist. Mm. And a resonance is such that you can build up or you can accept energy, provided it's at the right frequency. And Hoyle argued from this anthropic principle that there must be such a resonance in carbon. But he didn't have the means to test whether this was true, and nobody had ever looked at this. So the quote from Fred Hoyle is that, would you not say yourself some supercalculating intellect must have designed the properties of the carbon atom, otherwise the chance of finding such an atom through the blind forces of nature would be utterly minuscule. A common sense interpretation of the facts suggests that a super intellect has monkeyed with physics, as well as with chemistry and biology, and that there are no blind forces worth speaking about in nature. The numbers one calculates from the facts seem to me so overwhelming as to put this conclusion almost beyond question. Well, Hoyle did have a tendency to lapse into the metaphysical. Mm. And this is very much a, a deist view of the universe, that there was a god, a, a Spinoza-type god, who actually set the, the parameters that started the universe off. Mm. And of course, science has no way of telling whether this is true or not. And some people like to believe it and others don't. So this is the, the, instead of a God that you can pray to, this is a God who just, who just took it upon themselves to tweak nature or tweak sort of fundamental yeah. physics to allow for the development of complex life uh, eventually. And then they just withdraw from the scene. Yes. Off so, to another universe to do something well, else. a God who lit the blue touch paper. Mm. And, and, and that's it. Mm-hmm. But Hoyle had this idea of, of carbon being formed in this way, and he wanted to demonstrate that it was true. And he went off to America. He went to Caltech in 1953 and knocked on the door of Willie Fowler. Willie Fowler was a physicist, a nuclear physicist. And Fowler is recorded as saying that he considers Hoyle to be a, a strange cosmology with a, a pushy manner and a very odd accent. Now, Willie eventually relented and decided that he would do this experiment, he, that Hoyle may be onto something. But, you know, Willie had a program of research. He didn't really want to be sidetracked. Anyway, he, he did relent. And it became known as the Thousand Tennis Ball Experiment. The reason being is that in order to do the experiment, a large magnet had to be moved to the other end of the loop laboratory and the only way they could move it was to take it out along the corridor and they rolled it on tennis balls and they had a, a group of research students feeding tennis balls in the front end and the group retrieving them at the back end and running around the outside of the corridor and feeding them in again and slowly this enormous magnet was moved to the other end of the laboratory and the experiment was set up and lo and behold Willie Fowler found an energy level within carbon within 4% of Fred's prediction. Fred and Willie became firm friends. They, together with the husband and wife team, the Burbridges, worked out the abundance of elements in the universe. And they published a paper entitled The Synthesis of Elements in Stars, and it became known as the B-squared FH paper, 
B squared for the two Burbridges, Fowler and Hoyle. And on the probability basis of the nuclear physics involved, they pre predicted the abundance of the elements in the universe. And lo and behold, when the experiment, experimenters came to look, they found that it, their results matched the predictions very, very closely. Mm. And of course, uh, Hoyle had, had actually come up with this missing link, this resonance in carbon. Now, they, w Willie and Fred were firm friends. They spent time in Europe together. They climbed many Munros together. Well, Munros are mountains or large hills in Scotland, England and Wales, which are all above 3,000 feet. And Dr. Munro had made a catalogue of these, and together they climbed them. They walked up and down these things. Now, in 1983, the Nobel Prize for Physics was shared equally between Subramandra Chandrasekhar and William Alfred Fowler. Now, Subramandra Chandrasekhar got his prize for the theoretical study of the physical properties and importance of the structure and ev evolution of stars. And Willie Fowler got his for his theoretical and experimental studies of the nuclear reactions in the importance of the formation of chemical elements in the universe. Now, Willie Fowler stated that his joy at winning the Nobel Prize was much diminished because Fred was not included. In his acceptance speech, he made repeated references to Fred. And in fact, I understand that when he came to receive his money, he gave 50% of his share to Fred. Hmm. Fred, far from being a fool, deserves our respect, and he should have re received the Nobel Prize. Now, another Nobel Prize winner came up with a very useful suggestion. Barry Marshall, an Australian who got the Nobel Prize in 2005 for his work on ulcers, Heliobacter pyloria, said when he received his Nobel Prize, always be nice to Swedes, you never know the future. <laughs> hmm. Now there's a happy postscript to this story. Hmm. In 2019, Jocelyn Bell Burnett was awarded the Breakthrough Prize. This is a prize awarded by a number of Russian oligarchs mm. and the founder of Facebook and a number of American very rich people. Right. Um, it's worth $3 million. Uh, it has been awarded in the past to Stephen Hawking. Anyway, Jocelyn donated the whole of her prize to the Institute of Physics to give support and bursaries so that it would open doors to physics for people of every walk in life, underprivileged people who needed finances for their study. She gave it all away. So she ended up getting her prize. Not the Nobel Prize, but the Breakthrough Prize. Good on her. The Russian oligarch you're uh, referencing is a guy called Yuri Milner. And he's set up uh, this breakthrough project. One of them is Breakthrough Listen, which is using radio telescopes to listen. So buying, I think there's $100 million invested so far, maybe more now. But that is a huge boon to radio astronomers, particularly people who 
wanted to get some get time on expensive equipment around the world and use that to to do something which a lot of conventional science sort of thought was a waste of money a waste of resource a waste of rate of telescope time uh, and that was to listen out for uh, for et if you like there's also breakthrough starshot which is a, a um, proposal to build tiny little nano satellites which uh, have little sails that uh, unfold and then you fire very high powered lasers from earth to give these little boosts and then you can build up to I think it's something like 20% of the speed of light over time uh, and that allows you to potentially get to the nearest star system other than our own uh, and to investigate a, uh, a very earth-like planet that's been discovered there and the whole idea is that by by achieving such high speed you can actually get a turnaround time within a human lifetime so that's kind of important for yes, for, for, for anyone really for scientists and um, the philanthropists behind this sort of stuff thank you very much we've been listening to dr tony hayes talking about the life of fred hoyle the controversies involved that uh, rejection of these conventional theories of of the big bang the background radiation was called into question that idea that even fundamental structures of of molecules uh, like carbon that they could have been uh, influenced by uh, some kind of higher force that then uh, made certain changes to allow life to evolve really interesting stuff some of it unprovable um, some of it clearly has been proved to be wrong but he was a controversial person and and paul davies who was i believe was one of his students at university he described his exposure to fred hoyle over the years he said he, he loved his maverick personality and contempt for orthodoxy quoting hoyle as saying i don't care what they think about his theories on uh, discrepant redshift and it is better to be interesting and wrong than boring and right <laughs> that's a very good quote all right well thank you very much tony we could go on with this but we've got some other very interesting subjects which we're hoping to cover with tony in uh, in coming discussions one is about milankovitch cycles tectonic movement and the links to ice ages another is about dating and the science using carbon dating or even tree rings to determine how old things are so there's there's lots of interesting stories to be extracted from tony hayes but thank you very much for coming in today tony that's a pleasure Thanks for listening. We'd love you to review us on iTunes. It's a great way to let others know if you've liked our podcast. And don't forget to follow us on social media, Beyond Infinity RPPFM on Facebook or Infinity RPP on Twitter.